Progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, a very formal welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. Today is Sunday, January 2nd, 2022, the first Sunday of the new 2022 calendar year. And what a way to get this party started than with Kabbalah. I don't think there is a better way to do this than Kabbalah. And I do need to mention right out, right out of the gate that as we begin a new year, we have a very special dedication of this year of Kabbalah and Coffee. Um, this year, 2022 of Kabbalah and Coffee, has been dedicated by Dr. Joy Maxey in loving memory of her dear mother, Anne Geraldine Britton Maxey. Mrs. Maxey made an indelible and inspiring impact on all those who knew her. May the learning done in her memory, the learning that we're doing here at Kabbalah and Coffee, serve as a blessing to her soul and to her family, and may her memory be for an eternal blessing. So Dr. Maxey, it's very special that, you are, that you're here with us this morning. Um, very special that you've dedicated this, uh, this year of learning to your mom. And indeed, her neshama, her soul, should have an aliyah, should have an elevation. And um, of course, the ultimate blessing is you know, a, a reunion, right? Where everyone's back down here with Mashiach and resurrection of the dead, which we've spoken about in other classes. But uh, you, should, you should continue to, to, to carry forth your mom's legacy. And thank you for um, for, uh, for dedicating this year of Kabbalah and Coffee. Okay, so I'm going to mute everyone online just so we have a nice clean background. At any time, the way this works is you can unmute, jump in for, with a question or with a comment. All right, so we're about to begin. The text that we're studying is called Overcoming Folly, and we have a lot to talk about. Uh, I'm going to start with, for those that got the email, so the topic of today's class is Parallel Universes. Parallel universes, which is a, a pretty trippy concept, pretty trippy topic. But of course, there's a way that this is discussed, a way that there's a, a language around this in Kabbalah. Much like we did with the Kabbalah of the Matrix, a recently concluded course, there's a, there's a language that Kabbalah has about parallel universes and, and realms. For those of you that have studied Kabbalah before, some of this may be familiar, but I can almost guarantee that some of the twists that we have today will be brand new. Um, for those that are not familiar, I'll do my best to kind of lay the foundation for what we're talking about today. So Kabbalah speaks of, in, in the Jewish mystical teachings known as Kabbalah, we speak of different realities beyond our own. I mean, the reality that we're in, hopefully we know what that looks like. But beyond our reality, I mean, there's no guarantee, but beyond that, right, because we're still figuring out this stuff, but beyond that, there are other realms of existence. And Kabbalah speaks of, in total, four worlds. And I'm going to give you the Hebrew names, and then I'm going to give you a translation, typical translation, but then I think most, more importantly, we're going to discuss what this means. Because it's one thing to get a word, or even a tra in Hebrew or a translation of a word in English, but the main idea here is to understand the concept, not just the word. But let me first, let's start off with the, with the words. So Kabbalah speaks of four primary realms. And I must say, before I even tell you the, the names of these four realms, that there are myriad of realms. There are an infinite number of subdivisions and realms within realms and realms between realms. That's why it says, for example, a soul on high, having fulfilled its, pur its purpose on earth, it says the soul is yelchu mechayel el The soul continues to grow from strength to strength, continues to ascend constantly. It says every moment the soul above, having finished, 
Her job on earth is constantly and continuously ascending. It's like, imagine like an escalator that's constantly moving up. It says on the yard side, on the anniversary of the passing of a loved one, their soul jumps exponentially higher. But that's not the only time the soul ascends. The soul is in a constant state of ascent, which means that there's a, a steady a steady stream of higher realms within which to ascend. So my point is that when we talk about worlds and realms and spiritual realities, there's an, there's an infinite number of gradations of realities. However, generally speaking, we have four primary categories. And they are known in Hebrew as, atzil, from, from top down, Atzilut, Berea, Yetzira, and Asiya. Atzilut is translated typically as the world of emanation. Bria is the world of creation. Yitzira is the world of formation. And Asiya is the world of action. So we have Atzilut, Bria, Yitzira, Asiya, or emanation, creation, formation, and action. I already told you that these are just words. Without the concepts, they don't really mean much. So let's try to understand the concepts. So think about, and this is probably going to be the clearest way that I can articulate it. It's brought down in this, these analogies that I'm going to share with you are brought down in Kabbalistic sources. So they're not my own creation, but hopefully they're going to come across with a little bit, some, some modern language. So let's say a person decides one day they want to start a business. That's it. They want to start, hold on, let me backtrack on that. They want to start something new. They want to start, they want to start something. So in this original, in this initial vision, this is not yet articulated what this new venture is going to be. There might be a very, very general, basic um, direction for this vision. Like, for example, a person might say, I want to, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I want to start a nonprofit. Or a person might say, I want to start a for-profit business. Or a person might say, I want to start whatever it is. I'm just giving two like general categories. Right? Let's just stick with two. Either I'm going to start like a nonprofit to help people. I'm going to start a business to also help people, but to make money, whatever it is. But so there's an initial vision of this is what I want to do. Very generally. But it's not yet articulated as far as, not yet broken down what that's going to look like. And at this stage, in the kind of uh, dreaming vision process, the person's desire to do one of these things could take on so many different forms. I mean, somebody says, I want to dedicate my life to helping people, right? Not about money, but just helping people. Okay, that's a pretty big category. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can help people, right? I mean, there's, there's almost an infinite number of, of, of causes and ways to help people, even within a certain cause, like how are we going to help people this way or that way? It's the, the, the possibilities are almost endless. But it begins with a vision. The vision is, I want to help. At that initial stage of vision, it's really open-ended. There's a lot of doors that, 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 that are... You know, a lot of possibilities that are waiting to be open or that could be open. Choose your own adventure. Somebody says, somebody's vision is, you know, I want to make money. That's, that's what I want to do. 
Helping people, okay, maybe on the side, as a side hustle. But what I really want to do is make some cash. I want to make money, right? Again, how am I going to make money? Possibilities are endless, right? I could do any number of things. I could do things that have been done before. I could do things that have never been done before. The possibilities are open. But it begins with a vision. It begins with some sort of sense of direction of where I want to go. Not exactly where, but generally speaking, what is it that I'm looking for? That's the vision. After the vision, after the vision, there needs to be some decisions that are made. In other words, once I set my vision, and I know I'm limiting it to two, and I'm not doing justice to this conversation by limiting it to two, because I don't want it to seem like this is like what Kabbalah says about visions, either nonprofit or... Mo- but I'm just giving you a modern way to think about this, right? Someone wants to create something new. That they want to help people primarily. They want to make money primarily. They want to try to do both somehow, whatever. Okay, so once there's this general sense of vision, then a lot of decisions need to be made. Decisions like, all right, so what exactly do I want to do? Let's say a person says, I want to go into business. I want to start a business. I want to start a company. I want to make money and also change the world. But I, you know, I, I primarily want to, want, to, want to start a business and make money. Great. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You want to sell something? You want to sell products, services, right? Do you want to sell ads? I'm just thinking of like Google, Facebook, right? What do you want to do? There's so many different things. Apple, primarily selling products. Google, primarily selling ads. Facebook, primarily selling you and I. I mean, I mean, there's different ways to do it, right? Different ways to, to make money. By the way, the rule of thumb is, and I'm sure you guys all know this, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. That's the rule, right? right? If you're not paying for it, you are the product. That's the way it works. There's always, there's always a price. There's always a, something to be had. Back to our story. So after the initial vision, which is very broad and very general, there's then decisions that need to be made as far as, okay, so what is it that I want to do specifically? And then when you decide what you want to do specifically, then there are more layers of questions. Okay, so now I decided that I want to make money. All right, that's my initial vision. I want to make money. And I'm going to make money by selling an item. Okay, what does that look like? What does that look like? How am I going to do it? Am I creating it from scratch? Am I buying it from someone and selling it for a little bit more? Like, how am I actually, like, on the ground? How, how is this going to be broken down? How is it going to be fleshed out? Or not how is it going to be fleshed out, but it's about fleshing it out. It's about actually making a plan. If you're with me in the counting, step four would be, that was step three. Step one is the initial broad vision. Step two is a decision about, okay, where do I want to go with this? Step three is fleshing out that, those decisions and making more decisions and you know, making a plan, a real, a real plan, a real business plan. And step four is launch, where I launch the business, where I launch the nonprofit, but whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm launching it. Now, if you have ever started a business or been part of starting a business 
or if you have any knowledge about, you know, really launching any creative endeavor, so you will know that there are many, that there are certainly much more than four steps involved in creating something and launching something. It's more than four steps. It's like step one, step two, step three, step four, profit. That's, that's not how it works, right? There's many more than four steps. But, right, there are thousands of steps, thousands, I mean, who knows, innumerable number of steps that are, that are needed from the beginning of the dream until launch. But in general, you can kind of categorize it in four different buckets. The initial dream, which I call before the vision, you have decision about what you want to do. You have the, um, what's the word that I wrote myself in my notes? Let me see what I wrote here. There's vision, decision, articulation, where you articulate exactly how it's going to look and what it's, what it's going to be. And then there's launch. And at any point between the initial vision and launch, something can get in the way, right? Just ask Elizabeth, Elizabeth Holmes and others, right? I mean, think about the, the difficulty in getting something launched in a way that meets the original expectation. It's so difficult. You might have a dream about changing the world, and then you have, and then you, then the next step is, okay, this is how I'm gonna change the world. And then the next step is, and this is how I'm gonna go about this to change the world. But until it launches, it's all a dream. It's all a dream, it's all a story, it's all on paper, it's all an elevator pitch. Until it launches, it's not yet real. Let me add one more, so let me just check in. Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah. Let's add one more layer. That is that these four steps, these four realms, areas to, cre to a creative launch, they exist simultaneously on some level. Think about it. Think about it. Even after your business launches, right? Does that mean you no longer have the vision? You still have the vision. Yet you with me on what I'm saying? It's not like once you have, once you've gone through all four steps, the only thing you have is step four. No. If all you have is step four, that's actually dangerous. Because if you are now doing what you're doing and you forgot why you're doing it, at some point, that's going to cause a problem. Right? This is what we would call perhaps the midlife crisis of, of a business where we check in at some point and say, hold on, I know what I'm doing, but I don't even know if why I'm doing it is aligned with why I originally started doing this in the first place. And I don't know if I like what I'm doing and if I want to continue doing this, if it at all speaks to what this was about from the get-go. So it's really important that even as we're doing what we're doing, right, even after we've launched whatever this creative endeavor is, that we're still keeping in mind, that we still have in the forefront of our mind and our consciousness, the vision, the decision, the original decisions, the articulation, 
and of course that it's aligned with the final product. So, you know, another way to look at this, another similar way to understand this would be in the context of relationships. You know, a person decides, step one, I want to be in a relationship. Okay, that's step one. Because it could be a person says, I don't want to be in a relationship, which is also fine. Um, but it, it, to head toward a relationship, the step one would be, I want to be in a relationship. That initial vision. Then the next step would be, the next step would be, okay, so what, is that, what does that look like? To be in a relationship. What kind of relationship? Good morning. Hey, good morning, good morning. So the next question would be, what type of relationship? Right? So I know I want to be in a relationship. But now, but again, the question is, right? What type of relationship? Am I looking for a friendship? Am I looking for a serious relationship, a not serious relationship? These are questions that I could ask. So I have an initial vision. I want a relationship, but then I have some decisions, right? And what, what type of relationship? And then if this is the relationship that I want, then what, am I, what do I need to do? What steps do I need to take to make this happen? And then, of course, there's actually engaging in the relationship. Well, if I'm in the relationship, which is step four, which we called in the business terminology launch, right? If we're in that launch state, st stage and we forgot about why it is that we got there and how we got there, well, that itself is a little bit dangerous because it could be now we are disconnected, right, from what we're actually looking for. And that's when we wake up one day and realize, hold on, this relationship that I'm in is not actually what I want. This is not fulfilling what it is that I initially wanted and still want. It's not my vision. The vision that I have for, for a relationship is not this, and this is, you know, this is, this is incongruent. The way I've kind of explained this in the past in other contexts is imagine an x-ray of a person's spine, God forbid, and you see the spine is going, right, instead of going straight down, it's going this way and then that way and then the other way and back this way. It's, it's zigzagging. So the doctor would say, again, God forbid this should be a situation, but the doctor would say, this is a problem, right? The spine is not aligned. This is like, this is, it's dangerous. You got to be in alignment to be healthy. It's no different in life. We got to be in alignment, which means that what we're doing on the ground ideally ought to be aligned with what our vision is, what our spiritual goals are, what our higher vision is, what, what we see. So in every area of life, it's important not only that we, not only to know that we need to go through this four-step process of vision, decision, articulation, and launch, but it's also important that these stages exist in parallel to each other. Which means that at any moment, I can check in and say, okay, this is what I'm doing, or this is what I'm deciding, but it fits, it aligns with all the pieces. I've shared this vis-a-vis -vis relationships before, but I think it fits here as well because it's also another manifestation of the four worlds of Kabbalah. In relationships, there are four dimensions. In are there audio issues? You guys are having audio issues or it's coming through okay? Okay for me. Okay, all right. Okay. It's skipping. It's skipping. We're miss every now and then we're missing a sentence or two or three and then it comes back. Yaakov, it might, it might be your connection. I'm going to try my best to, uh, to do less shuckling. Okay. This is called shuckling, right? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's creating everyone's seasickness as they're watching this, right? Okay, I'm going to do less shuckling and more. You know, it says that when we study Torah, there's a natural movement like this, like a flame, 
that flickers. So I'm going to try to be a very smooth flame and maybe no in and out with the audio. All right, so back to our story. So we have four levels of relationship compatibility, which roughly correspond to the four dimensions, the four realities, the four realms of Kabbalah. Spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and physical. So there's four levels of compatibility because there's four levels of, we exist on four levels. We exist on more than four levels, but these are four general categories and levels that we exist on. There's our spiritual truths, our spiritual vision, like our spiritual ideals. Then there's our intellectual world, like how we think, our philosophies, which is distinct from our spiritual values. Spiritual is even higher than the intellectual. Then there's the emotional realm that we have inside, our emotional disposition, what we like. And then there's, of course, the physical. And there's compatibility. There can be compatibility on any one of these levels. A person can be compatible with someone else spiritually. Like spiritually, these two people, wow. They align. They, they, they have, when I say value, I don't mean intellectual values, but I mean they have spiritual values that align. They have, you know, the core, core values are like, are right there, meshing. But there might not be alignment, there might not be compatibility on other levels. Vice versa, you can have compatibility on, let's say, a physical level, but that might not translate to anything on a deeper level, which is what I'll just share, which is, I think, one of the, one of the great um, challenges of our times is that relationships are so much about, have become so much about the physical that it's possible that two individuals could be in a relationship and be in a relationship for a while and never articulate what their values are, what their spiritual goals are, and never really know, not never, but for a long time not know that maybe there's not that compatibility, and then one day be confronted with the challenge of, uh uh-oh, there's a little bit of an incongruency here, and then we have to figure out how to make it work, etc. So the ideal is, it's like, um, think about a pyramid, right? Think about a pyramid with the top being the, um, the, 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 the thinnest point and the bottom being the widest point. And imagine taking that pyramid and flipping it over. So now it's standing on the point, right? And so from bottom up, you have the physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual because the spiritual is ultimately the base. It's the least susceptible to change. Ideally, it's at least if it's really deep, it's probably not going to change. If it changed, it means it probably, probably wasn't really deep. The most, the element of these four that's most susceptible to change, i.e. that's the thinnest point, that's I would call the flimsiest, flimsiest point of connection would be the physical because the physical is guaranteed to change. There's, it's not possible that the physical doesn't change. What do I mean? No one ever looked the same 5, 15, 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, I'm going to keep on going, 75, 85, 95, 105, 115, 125. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's, 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 it's we should say in, in Hebrew, in Yiddish Hebrew, it's nishayich. It's not, it's, not it's not even a possibility that it wouldn't change. Of course it's going to change. So to build, to build an edifice, to build a tower based on, based on a foundation that is moving is just, 
It's just not a sound practice. You would never build a skyscraper on top of quicksand or on top of, I was going to say um, a fault line, but sorry for all my uh, <laughs> California references, but whatever. It's like you would never build, right? You would never build something that you want to last on top of a foundation that's like, you would never build a pyramid upside down. That's the point. You never build it on the, on the single point. It's just not, not going to work. So here's my point. There are different levels of compatibility, and each one of these four, and there's more than four because each one has various gradations in between, but each, one of the, but, but each level of compatibility is a world unto itself. And the ideal is that all four exist simultaneously, that you get the other person, you're on the same page physically and emotionally and intellectually and spiritually. I saw somebody ask in the chat, what are the four again? From the bottom up, physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual. Those are the four levels. It, those pretty much include, those general categories pretty much include any type of compatibility that you can think of. It could be, it could be included in one of those four levels. The ideal is, again, that all four exist in parallel. So... So when you're connecting with someone spiritually, it's not to the exclusion of the other dimensions, right? When you connect with someone physically, again, it's not to the exclusion of the other, the other, sorry, the other three levels, right? All four are existing simultaneously. This is what we would mean by referring to parallel universes, different realms that exist in parallel at the same time. It's not like when this exists, nothing else exists. No, this exists and that exists. So Kabbalah teaches going back to the creative process, which is how we started today's class. The creative process begins with a vision, an inarticulated, non-defined, not, not yet defined vision. This is, I, I want to do something, a lot, something, you know, I just try to give general categories before, either something in the nonprofit realm, I want to do something to help people, I want to do something to make money, but I don't yet know what. It's a vision. And then it's, Decision time. Okay, what do I want to do in these general categories? And then it's articulation. How am I going to do it? What does it look like? How does it work? All those questions need to be answered. And then launch. You launch it. You launch the project. You launch the business. You launch the product. Whatever it is, you launch it. Atzilut, Bria, Yitzira, Asiya. God was the first creator, Right? Right? The source is the first creator. And Kabbalah articulates four worlds, four steps in the divine creative process. It begins with a vision. Then decisions have to be made. Then those decisions need to be articulated and fleshed out completely. And then you launch it. This is the concept behind the terms. The world of emanation, the world of creation, the world of formation, and the world of action. Those four worlds roughly signify the process by which this reality, the reality that we know is launched. But here's the big idea. If we've, been, if we've been kind of connecting all the dots, here's what's important to know. The way it works with us in our creative process, the way it works also in relationships with having a vision for what we want, uh, what type of relationship, etc., and then until it, until it manifests, 
all of this is true of our reality. We are this. This right here, this is the end product of the divine, the original divine vision of what God wanted there to be. What began as a vision ends here as this. And I know what you're thinking. This is it? You kidding me? Couldn't have pulled off anything better? All right, hold on. We're going to get there in a second. Hold on. If that's what you're thinking, hold on. I will tell you, this place is stunning. This place is without parallel beautiful. It's gorgeous. Doesn't mean we don't mess it up sometimes. Doesn't mean we don't have the power to destroy it. We do and we do. We can and we do. But this place is beautiful and that's what we're going to talk about moving forward. But know this. Even as this reality exists, and this is very important, even as this physical reality exists, the other three dimensions, the world of vision, the world of decision, the world of articulation, in my language, right, and using the terminology that I used before, these other realms exist in parallel. People speak of parallel universes. When I make a decision, there's another reality in where I made the other decision, and they're existing simultaneously, and there's another reality where instead of turning right, I turn left, and then it spins off into that reality. And I would say, all right, sure, maybe, maybe not. I don't know how that affects this reality right here, though. But I'll tell you where Kabbalah comes in. Kabbalah has a bit of a different vision of parallel universes. Not every decision, the counter decision, exists somewhere else. But rather, this physical reality with all of its flaws is intimately and essentially tied to the vision. And it's intimately and inherently and essentially tied to all of the decisions and all of the articulations that were made throughout the creative process, which means that if we really want to maximize, if we really want to live, really want to live, we have to know what these other realities speak about, what they speak to, what they are about, what, what, what the goal is, what the vision is, and then we understand what it means to live here in this realm. Because this does not live in isolation. This world does not exist in isolation. This doesn't exist in a vacuum. This exists as part of a continuum that began with a vision and ends with launch. Does that make any sense, what I'm saying? Yes? Sort of? Yes? Let me check in. Yes? So again, I, I think I'm trying to define, not I think, I know what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to define what, when, when, I, when Kabbalah speaks of parallel universes, it's very important to understand this. The world of Atzilut, the world of emanation, is not some far-off realm, a spiritual world that exists somewhere else, that you have to go in a spaceship to get to a heavenly realm, and there, there's spirituality. That's not at all the understanding of Kabbalah. Where does Atzilut, the world of emanation, exist? Right here. Right here. It's when you have a business... And I'm moving in and out of the, of the an analogy and the analog. So stay with me on this. It's when you have a product that you've launched, a business that you've launched. While you're doing the business, what happened to your vision? Where's your vision? Is it locked away in some notebook somewhere, some file somewhere? No, it's right there, hopefully. It's right there in what you're doing. The vision is right there. So it doesn't exist in some far off planet. 
in some other physical location, some other conceptual space. It exists right here, ideally. Ideally. If we're doing it right, it exists in the same space. Same thing is true with the, physical, with the spiritual realms. This, the, the, the realms, the spiritual realities that precede our physical reality don't exist in some far-off galaxy. It's like when we send that new telescope, I forget what it's called already, that new, t- replace the Hubble, right? They replaced the Hubble last week? Yes? Um, yes. So with this, I think named after somebody. Probably Hubble was also named after somebody. Um, so anyway, it's not like with a telescope of incredible magnitude we'll be able to see the world of Atzilut, the spiritual reality, and maybe check out some angels. That's not what's going on here. That's like a misunderstanding. You know what that's trying to do? That's trying to concretize spiritual ideas. It's trying to create limitations of time and space on things that are not limited by time and space. It's like, again, we're moving laterally between, between examples here. It's like you're in a relationship and you're connecting with someone physically, right? Are your ideals aligned also? Sure. It's not like your ideals are somewhere else, right? It's not like your ideals are locked away in some other chamber and some other reality. It's all, it's all manif- It's all existing at the same time. So again, the very important thing to understand is as we explore spiritual worlds, and Kabbalah speaks of four primary worlds, as we explore the spiritual worlds, they're not existing as planets, right, in, in, in space where each one has a distinct space that you have to move from one to the other. That's not what it means. These are different concepts that can exist in the very same space. So you love someone. Why do you love them? Or how do you love them? Or in which area do you love them? Physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. All of the above, ideally, right? So do these exist in different spaces? No, it's in the same space. Same person, same relationship. So this, this leads to probably one of the greatest, I'm going to use a Hebrew word, chidushim. How do you translate the word chidush? Chidush. Um, I mean, it's translated usually as novelty, but it's, it doesn't mean novelty. Like It means innovation. There you go. That's a good word. This is one of the greatest innovations of Kabbalah. As distinct from other, I'm not saying all, but other, some other spiritual paths. And when I say Kabbalah, I mean Judaism as expressed by Kabbalah. In many spiritual paths, the goal is to get away from the goal is to get away from the mundane, to get away from the lowly, and to ascend and climb higher, so to speak to something more spiritual. So for example, in some traditions, meditation is seen as a tool to let go of kind of the physical, the physical boundaries, the physical limitations, and be able to connect 
you know, to divest oneself of the physical to be and, and to be able to become more attuned to the spiritual. In some traditions, life itself, life meaning soul and body, is considered to be not ideal. Why? Because you have a pure soul that's stuck in a physical body with so many limitations, with so much ugliness, inherent ugliness. When I say ugliness, what I mean is the fact that the body has physical needs and desires and temptations and, and vices and all this stuff. And the soul is a pure piece of God. It's a piece of divine energy and divine light. And the soul has to... Nebuch, how do you translate Nebuch from Yiddish? Nebuch has to, you know, shame. It has to, it has to navigate all of these, you know, all, all, all of the turbulence of, of life. So the ideal is to get out. And so you have spiritual paths that are predicated on this, living a life that is, that is divested of physical material needs. Right? In certain cultures, certain religions, the goal or the highest form of a human being in that space is someone who doesn't live a life that's tethered to the physical. Are you with me on this? Yes? I don't have to flesh it out, right? We're good? Okay. Right. The goal is to live a life that's ungrounded in physical experiences, etc. It's like us. And here's where everything, hopefully, everything that I said up until now, changes everything and flips it on its head. And this is the, it, it, one of the, in my opinion, the most incredible Kabbalistic ideas. When you look at, I'm going to give you two ways to look at it. One, the non-Kabbalistic way. The second, the Kabbalistic way. And I'm going to use, I'm going to use a tone of voice that is Talmudic in nature. So follow with me. <laughs> when you look at, and a thumb also, you have to use a thumb. When you look at, yeah? I like the warning. You like the warning. I figured, because otherwise, like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just explaining. This is, how, this is how it works. All right. When you're looking at the world, when you look at the evolution or devolution, the descent of the worlds from source to launch, from source to concrete reality, as further steps away from the source, yeah? The source is where it's at. And then successively it got worse and worse and lower and lower and further away from the light. The light diminished and the darkness grew until we have this space. A world full of lies and falsehood and physical temptations and all of the ugliness that exists also in this world. Parenthetically, in addition to all of its beauty. Close parenthesis. Right? When we think about it in those terms, so the goal is to get out of here to get back up there. Because that's where, that's where it's at. Are you with me on this? Yeah, that's the source. That's where everything is pure and light and bright and happy and true. And here, as it goes lower and lower, so at Silut, the highest realm is, you know, is a spiritual realm. And then the lower you go, the more messed up it gets. If that's the perspective, then what's the conclusion? Let's get out of here. How do we get out of here? And what's the goal in many spiritual paths is to get out of here. 
whether it's whether anyone's going to say that out loud or not is, is, is a different question. But if you think about the philosophies behind many movements, spiritual paths, it's about getting out of here. And Kabbalah says you got it wrong. You got it wrong. Why? Go back to the go back to the business. Go back to the business. Think about the business. You had a vision, you had an initial vision, you wanted to change the world. You didn't yet know how. You, know, you knew you wanted to change the world. Then you went through the steps. You thought about it, you decided, you articulated, and then you launched. Let me ask you a question. When you launched, was that further away from the initial vision? Or the closest possible to the initial vision? You with me? I'm going to say this again. And hopefully in clearer terms. The closest you can get to the initial vision is launch, is the end. Because if you stopped in between, you're now nowhere. The classic example brought in Kabbalah is building a house. I'm using building a business, but if we want to concretize it in a very easy to digest example, building a house. You have a vision, I want to build a house. I have a piece of land, I want to build a house. I want to build a home. A house or a home, that's already for another class, right? A house or the bricks, a home is what's inside the bricks. But let's say you want to build a house, let's start with a house. Yeah, so that's their initial vision. Then you have to decide what kind of house. Right? You have a vision, house. But then, okay, but that's still vague. What kind of house? Got to make some decisions. And then once you decide what kind of house, you have a lot of details to flesh out. Yeah, I mean, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of decisions down to the color of the, the type of fixtures. I mean, just look around anywhere. I mean, look, just the, 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 the level of detail in everything. Look around your space wherever you are. The level of, of details, either you decide or someone else decided, someone had to decide. But if you stop there, if you had a vision, a dream for a home, for a house, <clears throat> you decided what kind of house it was going to be, you even decided and articulated the, down to the detail of what it's going to look like, and then you stopped, guess what? You don't have a house. And you're further away from your vision. I mean, you've articulated your vision, you have a sense of what that looks like, but you're... You don't have a house. It's when you finish. It's when you, it's, it's when the last nail goes in to the mezuzah on the front door, right, in, uh, in Jewish terms, right? If, it's, when, it's when the last thing, the last item is finished in the home. That's when the initial vision has finally been achieved. We call this Sof The end of the action is the initial machshava, initial thought. The language that I use today, that's your initial dream. The end, the end, the final, the final blow of the hammer is connected to the beginning in the most intimate way, which means like this. Instead of looking at it as a linear 
linear journey. It's actually a circular journey where the beginning and the end are the ones that touch. Because in the beginning, the vision was, I want a house. And the end is, hopefully, you have a house. So the fact that it became more and more concretized to the point that you're actually knocking nails into wood. Yeah? The fact that it becomes concretized is not in any way a moving away from the vision. No, it's the, it's the culmination of the That's what you wanted. Because you didn't want a, a theoretical vision. You didn't want, sorry, you didn't want a theoretical house. You actually wanted a house. So the end and the beginning are the closest, are the most, clo- most closely connected points in this entire, in this entire um, process. Same thing is true with a business. You have a dream of a business or a dream for a business. You're, you, even before you know what you want to do, you know that you want to do something. Then you decide what it is, you articulate, and you, you figure out all the details, and then you launch. The launch is not, further, it's not the furthest point. It's not a linear line. You had a dream, a vision, and now you launched. Now you're all the way over there. That's not how it works. You guys can see my hands. Right? It's not, it's, not, it's not how it works. You're not further away. When you launch, you've now fulfilled. You've now come full circle to what you originally had in mind. That you didn't even know you had in mind. Initially, initially. You didn't even know what it was yourself but you knew you wanted something, now you got it, that fulfills it. Translated into our reality, you know what that means? I'll just, I'll just say it. What it means is that the source, God, the divine, what, what was the initial vision? We're going to articulate that today, but you know where that comes full circle, where that culminates? Right here. For us to say, let's get out of here, is to deny the architects, the capital A, original vision. Does that make sense? Yes? For me to say, oh, this is furthest away from the divine, so I need to leave here and get back, is to look at things in a linear way and not in a circular way. So this is one of the greatest ideas of Kabbalah. That the four-step process of creation, vision, decision, articulation, and launch are not steps that are linear by nature, where each successive step pulls you further away from the origin, but on the contrary, each successive step further down the line, pulls you closer to your original intention. Which means, and this is the daring line of Kabbalah, this lowest realm of existence, below which nothing else exists, is the ultimate purpose of all of creation. The ultimate purpose of all creation, all manifestation, all existence, is right here. And the rational mind rejects this and says, what are you talking about? How is this possible? This is it? This broken realm, this place of of confusion where there's light and darkness, where there's good and evil, where 
At any given moment, we're pulled ourselves in two different directions, higher self, lower self, noble actions, innoble actions, and you're telling me that this is, this is it? This is the tachlis? This is the purpose? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Why? Because this completes the vision. I've said what it does, but I haven't said how. So now let's advance this conversation. How does this reality fulfill the initial vision? And what was that initial vision? Well, let me say that again. Let me, let me rewind and, and ask it as a question. Uh, diff- differently. If we posit that this reality is what comes full circle to fulfill the original intention of all, then we need to understand what was the initial intention. What was the initial vision? So here's what Jewish texts have to say about this. The text originates in a, in a Midrash, which is a 2,000-year, 2,000-plus-year-old text. It has been elaborated on by centuries of mystical thought. And the, the line goes like this. God desired to have a home. A dira. Dira means a home. Well, bayit is a home. Dira means a dwelling space. Dira means a place to live. God wanted to have a place to live. I'm just going to call it a home. A place to live in the lowliest of realms. That's the vision. The vision is a, a realm that's low, a realm that's seemingly disconnected, and in that space, and in that space, that God should have a home. Which means simply this. As long as there's no, as long as, if you don't have a lowly realm, then you can't build a home in the lowly realm. Before I, before I uh, analyze it, let me just explain something. Something um, essential to this, to, this, uh, to this idea. What does it mean that God wanted a home in, the low, in, in, in a lowly realm? That means is that God wanted that in a space that has all sorts of distractions, all sorts of opportunities to be disconnected, every excuse in the book to be you know, focused on other things that you and I should choose in this space to create room for a relationship with God and to allow our reality to allow, to break open our reality to allow the light to come in. Who was it? Um, Leonard Cohen? Right? Leonard Cohen, who wrote There's a Crack in Everything. Famous singer-songwriter. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. He's talking about brokenness, right? How we all go through struggle, how we all are broken. And sometimes we don't want to feel broken, right? Because who wants to feel vulnerable and broken? We want to feel strong. We want to feel invincible. And the world tells us to be strong and invincible and not to show, not to show fear and not to show vulnerability. I mean, I think the world has come around now a little bit, but not that long ago, showing fear and vulnerability was not a good thing. But it's the cracks that allow the light to come in. 
It's, the, it's a broken heart. The Kutzker said. The Kutzker Rebbe said. There's nothing as whole as a broken heart. There's nothing as whole as a broken heart. It's in the spaces of brokenness that our strength truly lies. But we don't see it. Because we live in a world where invincibility is celebrated. Where strength is celebrated. And openness and genuine connection and vulnerability and Think about our reaction when somebody offers help. For many of us. Our natural reaction is, no thanks, I got this. We don't want to even admit to ourselves that we could use some help. We're not ready to receive. We just want to be givers. We want to give and do and show ourselves in the world that we're capable and competent and strong and successful. And to be able to say, I don't have this. I need help is like the worst in our minds. It's the worst. It's the most human. It's the most human and it's the most divine. It allows the light in. When we say the emptiest vessel is a full vessel. When the cup is full, it has no room to receive anymore. Right? When a cup is full, there's no more space. When you empty the cup, ah, oh, now it's a vessel. Now it's a Kaylee. So what did God want? God wanted to create a realm where it's very complicated. There's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of challenge. A lot of opposition. A lot of struggle. A lot of ego. A lot of narcissism. A lot of temptation, a lot of darkness, a lot of lies, etc. And in that space, God wants us to choose to create space for Him. God wants us to choose to, to create space for a relationship so that we're not closed off. We don't say to ourselves and to God and to the source, we don't say, you know what, I'm good, I'm fine. Right? Nothing. Right? Just I'm full and I'm fine and, and, and I'm fine and, and there's there's no space for any for anything else, for anyone else. No. God wants us to create space in against all odds in this realm. To put it in other words, to kind of show the contrast. If we think of spiritual realms a little bit differently than I've explained before, not as a creative process, which is true, that it is that, but if we think of spiritual realms in a more classic understanding of a place where angels hang out. Yeah? So let's ask it this way. How impressive is it that an angel, which is a, a, pure, a pure piece of divine energy in a spiritual space, how, how innovative is it that an angel has a relationship with God? A scale of 1 to 10, how innovative? How, how absurd is that? Or how Astonishing, how shocking is that? One being not shocking at all, 10 being very shocking. But that is a minus 10. That's like obvious. Yeah, God creates spiritual robots who act in a spiritual robotic way. Thus surprising no one. That's not what God's vision was. 
That's not what God's vision was. What was God's vision? God wanted a home. God wanted to be at home in a lowly realm. God wanted us with all of the stuff going on, with all of the Mishagasin, that's uh, Yiddish for craziness, all of the distractions, all of the stuff going on, that you and I should create space, real space for a real relationship. And that's a relationship of choice. Do you want to be, think about this on a human level, do you want to be in a relationship where the other is forced to be in a relationship with you? What kind of relationship is that? What kind of relationship is that? A relationship where the other one's forced to be with you? How is that even... How is that even... I'm not going to... That's not a relationship. It's not a relationship. A relationship is the whole... And what gives a person the love and satisfaction in a relationship is knowing that the other person could have chosen anyone but chose you. That's what makes it meaningful. They could have chosen anyone, anything, any... And they chose you. That makes it significant. If they had to choose you, is that a relationship? You program, yeah, you create a program that is devoted to the creator of the program. And then it's devoted to the creator of the program. Wow, that's amazing. Slow golf clap. I mean, like, what, what are we doing here? Right? It's not what God wants. God, if we want to put it in other terms, God wants a real relationship. And you know what a real relationship is? Where there are choices. <coughs> what makes a relationship so valuable, part of what makes a relationship so valuable, in addition to all of the other themes that we've discussed and themes we haven't discussed, is the fact that that other person could have chosen anyone. And they chose you. That's what makes it significant. Yeah, Darren. So does that mean inherently that um, by that philosophy that like uh, prearranged marriages are not relationships? I would say, I, so, prearranged marriage, uh, yeah, the question is, so then a prearranged um, marriage would, by definition, not constitute a real relationship. I would say that it puts a, it puts the, it starts the relationship off. There can always be subsequent choice. But it starts the relationship off in a, in, a, in a space where it's definitely not in that choosing freely space, which makes it less of what we've been talking about. In other words, the short answer is yes, I agree with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so, Rabbi? yes. Rabbi? Hey, Donna. But I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, in a sense, if both sides are putting in their criteria, so it's a facilitator to be able to connect. It's a facilitation. What's a facilitation? A matchmaker. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think Darren was talking about a matchmaker. Right, no, no, matchmaker is different. No, matchmaker is different. Matchmaker is, um, is, you know what a matchmaker is? I'll tell you what a matchmaker is. You move to a new city, yeah? You move to a new city, and your tooth is hurting. And you you don't have a dentist. You have a dentist back home, but you don't have a dentist here. Yeah? So you know a few people in the city, and you say to them, hey, I need a dentist. Do you know a good dentist? You look, right, you look around for a dentist, and then you find the dentist, you go to the dentist. That's a matchmaker. You know what's silly? Is your tooth is hurting, listen to this, and you go to a bar, 
and then you look for someone attractive, and then you schmooze with them, hang out with them, and then six months in, ask them, by the way, are you a dentist? That's, that's kind of, right, sorry for saying this, it's kind of silly. If you're looking for a dentist, look for a dentist. What are you looking for something else? And then hoping that that other thing is also a dentist. This goes back to what I said before about spiritual, intellectual, uh, emotional, and physical. If you're looking, the problem is we don't know we're looking for a dentist. I'm sorry if anyone thinks I'm actually speaking about teeth. I'm not speaking about teeth right now. (laughs) Anyway, here's the point. Don, I agree with you 100%. A matchmaker is, you know what, again, I I think I was uh, defining a matchmaker the way it should be at least. A matchmaker is someone who is like a mutual friend or somebody who knows this one, knows that one, and says, hey, you guys have a similar energy. I think at least you should meet. No, that's a good thing. We need more of that, of that type of, because otherwise it's just like shot in the dark. It's like, you know, just blindfold and just, what am I doing here? Throwing darts, trying to hit a target. Like the odds of that hitting, I mean, eventually, hopefully, but the odds of that, So I don't, I'm not familiar with um, Spider-Man the movie, the original. Is anybody familiar with Spider-Man, with Tobey Maguire? Yes, no? Apparently there's a scene in the opening where he's in, the ca- in a cafeteria and something like food items are falling and he moves his tray around and catches everything. And apparently, according to Reddit at least, this was not done with... Um, with um, uh, with you know computer, it wasn't it wasn't artificially generated, computer generated, CGI. It took him 156 takes to get to catch 156 takes. I think Drew Barrymore was in that scene. Does that make sense? It was Tobey Maguire and Drew Barrymore. Anybody familiar with this? Doesn't actually really matter at this point. Those that level of detail. But I was thinking about this in this context. Yeah, after 156 tries, you might find a dentist. Right, but like, why waste so much? It's a lot of, I, I don't mean that, but it's like, let's go. If we know what we want, let's, let's look for that, and a matchmaker can help find that. But the, the, the really what it comes down to is, right, getting back to the original point here is, a relationship is significant when there's an element of choice. And so God's relationship with the angels, all right, so the angels are dedicated. Big deal. Listen, I'm not calling out the angels. The angels are amazing and like, you know, you do you. But like, is, is that a relationship? The angel, angels are spiritual robots. Again, it's perfection. It's, I, I told this story, I, I don't know how many hundreds of times I've told this story. A young man came to Lubavitcher Rebbe and said, you know, was struggling with life. And he said, you know, I'm looking for some guidance. I'm trying to understand why is life so difficult? And the Rebbe said to him, you know, it's, as human beings, life is difficult. Angels have it easy, but we have it difficult. And the young man said, well, then I would rather be an angel than a human being. The Rebbe said to him, what's more valuable, a photograph or a painting? And the young man thought about it and said, a painting. And the Rebbe said, why? A photograph is perfect, and a painting is not perfect. And the answer is because it's the imperfection that's actually beautiful. There's beauty in the imperfection. There's beauty in the imperfect choice that we make to connect with someone and the imperfect nature of a relationship that has its ups and downs and has moments in which sometimes we question perhaps, you know, like, 
What have I done? And then we reaffirm, this is what I've done and this is my choice. It's that constant yin-yang, it's that constant flow in a relationship that gives it its vitality, that gives it its beauty. It's the imperfections that actually make it beautiful. A perfect snapshot of a relationship like the angels is not, it's, it's perfection, but it's not beauty. There's a difference. Perfection is not necessarily beauty. Studies have shown, used to be science showed, that like people, like symmetry, perfect symmetry is beautiful. And then we realized, as we, as we studied more, that if you can break the symmetry a little bit, it's even more beautiful. It's like perfection is nice, but imperfection is even nicer. Once read a, a long article in Wired magazine about this about typesetting. If you rewire magazine, the print edition, you'll notice sometimes like the layout, the typography, it's like, it's a little bit, it's not symmetrical. It draws the, it draws the attention. It's, there's something captivating. There's something beautiful about lack of symmetry. You notice some of, our, some of the art here is like on an angle. Maybe that's why. I'm kidding. Anyway, so here's the point. God's vision, the initial vision, as we understand it, is God wanted a real relationship with imperfect human beings. That gets realized right here. That does not get realized anywhere else. Everywhere else is a step along the way toward the ultimate goal of this. Thus, in Kabbalah and in Judaism, same thing. The desire, the goal, sorry, the desired goal is not to escape this space. It's not to get out of here. It's not to climb to a spiritual realm. On the contrary, it's to crack this space open. It's to fracture the, the shell a little bit, the klipa, the shell, and let the light in. This is true when I say fresh. Think about any human relationship. The first step in a relationship is creating space for another person, for another human being. Without, without the creation of space for the other, where do they exist? The first step is cracking open our ego. The first step is being open to becoming a receiver. That's the first step. The first step is becoming vulnerable. Without that vulnerability, without that cracking open, Right? Then nothing can get in. Then there's no relationship. It's not a relationship. It's two beings in proximity, bumping up against each other. But that's not a relationship. A relationship implies space. And space requires breaking oneself open a little bit. doesn't mean to devastate oneself. No one's talking to any extremes. But it means breaking oneself open. Realizing what one has and also what one doesn't have. It's a healthy process. Know thyself. For some reason, I'm speaking in, 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 a, in an older English terminology. Thyself, I don't know why. But yeah, it's knowing who you are, knowing who you're not, knowing the limitations, knowing the contours of your own existence. Where, where it is, where it's not. What my virtues are, what my liabilities are. It's breaking open. It's being vulnerable. 
If my goal in a relationship is to show how perfect I am, it might impress the other for a minute. It's not the key. It's not success. It's not the key to a long-term successful relationship. If I always have to be perfect in a relationship, that's not going to work. Well, I mean, that, that's not going to work. First of all, it's not sustainable because <laughs> at some point they're going to see through it, right? Because we're all we're all flawed. Sorry for being the bearer of bad news, but it's like it's not possible otherwise, right? So. So it's not authentic, but it also doesn't give space for a relationship. Relationship works because each one is giving and each one is receiving. There has to be giving and receiving. If there's no receiving, then there's no giving either. So what's the point? The initial vision is a space where God can have a real relationship. Not a forced, not a coerced relationship, not a robotic relationship, but a real relationship. And that exists right here. And so in this realm, that is the furth- seemingly the furthest from the divine ideal, seemingly furthest from the divine ideal, Kabbalah says that it's the closest. Kabbalah upends the formula that typically drives spiritual paths and spiritual beliefs. The typical, the typical trajectory is, this is bad, that's good, let's leave this and go there. So let's meditate, levitate, climb on top of a mountain, seclude ourselves from the real world, and connect on, on, on a spiritual level. And Kabbalah says, Kabbalah says, find God right here. Crack open this shell. Don't escape to another reality. Find God here. Because it comes full circle. This furthest realm is actually closest. Not closest. It's intertwined with the original vision. This is what God wanted. This is what God wanted. This is what God wanted. This, this is what God wanted. Human beings with lots of stuff and lots of distractions and a world of confusion, a world that has an admixture of good and evil, and we still choose God. That's significant. It can only happen in one place, right here. So last week we spoke about the the process of the creation of the human being. Last week we said... That the human being is created from the lowest element and the highest element. The human being is an admixture of dust and image. Dust of the earth, the image of God. The body is the lowest and the soul is the highest. The body was created for the human being in a way that no other form of life was created. Everything else emerged alive. The human body emerges dead. It's only subsequently that there's a breath of life that's breathed into this corpse, into this dead body. And we asked, we wondered last week, why is it that there's, that there's a two-step process to the creation of the human being? Why not create a human being alive, like everything else? Animals, plants, trees, everything was created alive. 
with matter and spirit intertwined. Why is it that the human being first has inner matter, matter that's not alive, that's not moving, not animated? And only then does the spirit of life animate it. Why the two steps? And we said, because this reflects the purpose of the human being, which is to lift up even the dead, even the inert, the lowest matter, matter meaning substance, the lowest of substance, to lift it up and to inspire it and to infuse it with life and life. And this is what we're speaking about today, not on a microcosmic level, but on a macrocosmic level, not in the microcosm of the human being, that this is what the soul, our soul, comes down to do to our body. But this is what we collectively are doing to this world. We come down, I said we come down. I don't mean from spaceships. I mean like the soul comes down into us, right? We emerge here. No one chose to be here. We all, we're, we all find ourselves here, one way or another. And what's the job? The job is to elevate the physical, to elevate the mundane, and make it shine. To take the seemingly lowest strata of existence and to infuse it with a divine light that is more brilliant than even the angels can behold. That's the purpose of life. To crack open the shell of this reality and to bring in the divine light. So to read this inside, thank God we have four minutes left. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, do, a little, uh, let's do a little inside reading. This is chapter three of Discourse 15. Um, if you don't mind, oh, that was a very bad toss. Sorry about that. Let me hook you up here. I'm going to pull it up on the screen as well. Oh, in the seam. Unbelievable. All right. Man, my, uh, my, my throw is off today. My sliding is just not, not, not working. Okay, here we go. I'm going to share my screen. Let's get the PDF up on the screen. This is going to be page 200. If you have a book, it's 234. Hold on. 224, 224, I think so, right? I think we finished chapter 2, yeah, chapter 2 last week, yeah, 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 Tanya. sorry, Tanya, Tanya, no, 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 this is um, overcoming folly, yeah, Kunches of Mayan, good stuff, huh? That you can find on Amazon. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon, kahat.com. Um, based on, based on Tanya, everything's based on Tanya. Tanya is the Bible of uh, Chabad Hasidic philosophy. But this is expanded. All right, let's jump in to our text. I've given myself three minutes. Okay, perfect. Perfect that we're exactly where we want to be at. Chapter three. All right, physical world's advantage. Sounds like a tennis match. Physical world's advantage. This then, he says, is the... All right. Now, first of all, do you have the typo corrected in your edition? Uh, no. I mean... This then never. is the A superior quality. Do you have that double... Uh, is the A? Do you have the A superior or just yeah, the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have the A? Yeah. Someone needs to contact a and tell them they missed the typo here. 
All right, I'll let anyone contact the publisher if you want to. This then is the, A, is the superior quality in the mundane world. Our reality, you'll see how this says what I said, but maybe in a little different way, but this is, yeah. This is the superior quality of, of, in the mundane world over the higher spiritual worlds. He calls them higher because on some level they do seem higher. But this is the, this is the advantage. This is the, the superior quality of this reality over the others and the superior quality in the descent of the soul to invest itself in a physical body and natural soul over its previous status in God Aden, that is paradise, where it experienced perfect bittal, that means um, transparency and unity with God. In other words, as lofty as it was, as lofty as heaven's spiritual realities is, as lofty as the soul prior to its descent below was, it can't touch what it can do here. The Alter Rebbe wrote in Tanya, oh, we do have Tanya here. The Alter Rebbe wrote in Tanya chapter 36 that the ultimate purpose in creating this world is that God desired to have for himself an abode. I called it a dwelling or a home, an abode among the lowly, among us. God wants this space and you and I to be at home with the divine. This is why there exists the Hishtal Shulot, that means the descent of worlds, and their, Hishtal Shulot means a like chain of evolution, and their descent degree by degree through a multitude of garments which screen the light and energy that emanate from him. I'll, tell the, I'll say this maybe in a little bit clearer terms. This is why the spiritual light becomes diminished, 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 lower, lower, lower. The realms become darker and darker until we get to this space. Why? Not because... It's bad, but because it's good, it's, gonna, it's going to achieve the original intention. And at the end of the descent, there was created this material and gross world. This is what we call launch. In my terminology, this is the launch. This is where it gets launched. It is this lowest stage with none lower in terms of concealment of his blessed light. A world of doubled and redoubled darkness, so much so that it is full of klipot and sitrach, or that means klipot means shell, shells that cover, not physical shell, but spiritual, conceptual spiritual shells that cover the truth. Sitrach means the other side that oppose God. They proclaim it. It's the ego that says, that declares in our reality, I am and there's nothing else besides me. A person can state with absolute certainty in their mind that I am a self-made person, I'm a self-made man, and I'm a self-made woman. Look what I've done, and look at my ego, and look how amazing I am, and take credit and say nothing else. There's nothing else besides me. It's me and nothing else. That's how low this world is. A world that is literally with the imprint of its creator can deny its creator can believe that there is no creator. And yet, what's the purpose of all? Right here. I.e., the purpose of the hishtashot of the spiritual worlds is for this lowly world. What is the purpose of why everything, why the whole process gets started, why everything starts unfolding? It's to get to the end product, which is this. I.e., the purpose of the Hishtashot, I'm going to say that sentence again, I'm going to start it again. The purpose of the Hishtashot, the Hishtashot means the, the evolution or devolution of the spiritual worlds, is for this lowly world because, why? Because such was his blessed will 
This is the vision. Blessed will means the vision. That he derives satisfaction when the sitra akra is subdued, when the ego, let's just say it in personal terms, when the ego is broken and darkness is converted to light when we let the light in. For this purpose, man was given the ability and strength to be able to overcome the animal soul. This is why you and I were created in this way, as we said last time, last week. This is why you and I are created in a way where we have a body that's so low and a soul that's so high because the purpose is that the light of the soul should break open the body a little bit and thus break open, split open the facade of this world. This world seems so autonomous, so self friendly We spoke about this in the, in the Matrix course a little bit. Nature, nature, it's all about nature, nature and science and, and really at its core, it's all, it's all, every, even nature itself is divine. But it's about a consciousness. It's about opening up to this reality. Okay. This takes us to, the, to our time next week. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to, um, to round this out in a moment and kind of hopefully bring this together. But just, just to note, we are in the middle of chapter 3. We just started it this week. Next week, we're going to get into, it's called here the war on evil. Um, we're going to get into the dangers of this project. I'm calling it a project. What are the dangers of this endeavor? It's not a slam dunk. God wants, this is the riskiest. It's so risky. It's so risky. You create a robot, you, create, you program software to love you, there's no risk. There's zero risk. You create a realm that could go any, any direction of its choosing and then hope they love you, man, that's risky and that's vulnerable. God tells us about vulnerability in relationships. That's one major lesson here, right? This is vulnerability. That, but that's what makes it authentic. Otherwise, it's not a real relationship. It's a program. What makes it real, what makes it, what makes it real is is the vulnerability, is the fact that it could go any, any, any number of ways. And because of this, this mission, this goal, is fraught with danger. And sometimes it's not going to work. Sometimes it's not going to work. Ultimately, it's going to work. Like, universally, it's going to work. But we don't always get it right. What does getting it right even look like, right? Think about a relationship, right? Getting it right, it's a moment-by-moment -moment situation. In any moment, I ask myself, am I, am I open or am I closed? Am I vulnerable? Am I, am I stoic, right? Am I real? Am I genuine? Am I authentic? Or am I fake? Am I artificial, right? Am I trying to show how perfect I am or am I, am I open? Am I trying to show God how much I got this? I got this. I don't need you. I got this. Or are we saying to God, you know what? I don't have this. I don't got this. You got this. And I'm open. So this is where the danger comes in. Because there's a force, as we'll say, discuss next week, there's a force inside of us called the animal soul, the ego, the evil inclination, whatever. It goes by different names. But it's a force inside of us that tells us that you have this 
and you got this figured out, and you don't need anything else. You don't need any help. You're good. You're good. You walk into a store. Someone says, can I help you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just browsing. Just browsing. I don't need any help. So we could walk through life saying to God, I'm just browsing. I don't need any help. I'm good. Or we can be real and say, I don't have this. I have no idea what I'm doing. I need a lot of help. And I don't exist without you. So what do we talk about today? Let's recap quickly. We talked about the four worlds of Kabbalah, and we spoke about how they reflect many different truths, including the creative process. How you go from vision to launch in four steps. Step one being the vision, step four being the launch. The big idea that I was trying to evoke from this, which hopefully came out, is that when you go from launch, sorry, from vision to launch, you're not moving in a path that pulls you further away from the beginning, but it actually pulls you closer to the beginning. It's a full circle. Because your, your vision, right? If you launch correctly, then that speaks to your vision. The end of your action is what you originally had in mind, if done correctly. This is the big Kabbalistic idea, the breakthrough of Kabbalah vis-a-vis perhaps other, other ways of thinking that tells us that this reality, this world that we live in, which is launch world for God's vision, is exactly that launch world for God's vision. Not furthest away from the divine, the, the lowest and the darkest of the realms and therefore the least desirable, but on the contrary, it's the most desirable because it's here where the original goal, the original vision can be attained. It can't exist anywhere else. God's desire for a relationship cannot happen anywhere else except for right here, in the realm of vulnerability. This reminds us of a few things. Number one, how high the stakes are. Number two, as we'll discuss next week, how fraught this is with danger because it's not created in an automatic way. It's not created in a robotic way. We have that free choice. We have lots of options. So it's very, it's fraught with a lot of danger. We could get it wrong. But it also reminds us just how precious this life is and how beautiful this reality is and how we should not take any of this for granted. We exist in the most beautiful of spaces. And so I'll conclude with this thought. Maybe it's a meditation. Maybe it's a thought. Maybe it's all the above. Kabbalah says that the angels, the greatest angels, and the souls on high, look toward us and recognize the light that we can create down here, the relationship that we can forge down here, and that that, and that, that is the greatest light and the greatest relationship possible. And the angels, it's, this is a terminology that's used in Kabbalah, the angels are jealous. I think we're projecting emotions on angels, but whatever. But if they could feel, they would be jealous of the type of relationship that we can have because they can't choose a relationship with God. And on some level, you know, sometimes we might say, I'd rather be that. I'd rather just be in the relationship and not choose it and just, you know, it's, 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 where, it's where it is. It's where it needs to be. But it's much deeper here. 
It's the deepest space. So let's treasure every moment that we have here. Let's not take any breath that we have for granted. As we begin a new year, 2022, let us savor every moment and recognize that every single moment of life is an opportunity. It's an opportunity that we can choose to fill with meaning, with connection, with openness, with vulnerability, with authenticity, with truth. We can choose the other options, but why, why focus on the negative? Every moment is an opportunity, and it's priceless. Thank you for joining me today for Kabbalah and Coffee. I look forward to seeing you, please God, next week. Um, remember, everyone's invited also to join us in person or online or both. If you want to get the simulcast, it's also cool. It's like people that go to, uh, go to the game, you go to the football game. And then you also have, remember back in the day people used to listen to the radio to get the call? Although I understand the, uh, the wisdom of that. I remember the first time I went to, grew up in Pittsburgh, first time I went to a Steelers game. And it's kind of, you have to kind of figure out what happened by yourself. This is before, like, you know, the, the jumbotrons and, like, the big screens that, like, broke everything down. You're kind of like, you know, plays were happening. You're like, okay, I guess, uh, I guess they scored. I mean, obviously you could tell that. But, like, you know, it's cool to have the breakdown. What's my point? I feel like I'm, I'm, off, I'm off topic over here. Here's the point. Join us in person or online or both. Um, but just it's great to have everyone part of this as we begin 2022. It's great to have this. And Dr. Maxi, a special... Uh, Special thank you once again for, uh, for sponsoring this year of Kabbalah and Coffee. And our loved ones look to us to continue those connections. One way to think about it is a relay race. You know, with the batons, everyone runs and then they hand. It's like every generation, they run, they, they do their job, and then they take the baton they hand it to us. And all they want us to do is keep on running. Because the race is not over. All right, thank you for joining for Kabbalah Coffee. A few quick announcements. Um, announcement number one is that next Monday night, a week from tomorrow night, we're starting a new series called How to Think Like a Hasidic Master. So if you want to get inside the mind of the Baal Shem Tov, if you want to get inside the mind of the Magad of Mizrich, of the Alter Rebbe, of the Berdichever, of uh, Rebbe Lee Melech, of Lezhensk, or Rebbe Zush of Anipoli, etc. And or if you want to know who these people are, then join us for this four-part series called How to Think Like a Hasidic Master. It's being taught by Mrs. Nomi Freeman, who is a, a tremendous scholar and a, 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 just a, a superb um, mystical mind. She's going to be teaching this course starting next Monday night. So check out the website for more information, um, intownjewishacademy.org. Now next Tuesday night, so a week from Tuesday, we have, this is a very unique opportunity, we have a live online event with a mystic, a Kabbalist, a rabbi, and a doctor from Melbourne, Australia. I don't know if Australia shut down again, but I know they've been shut down for, uh, for a little while. Um, but he's going to be joining us live on Zoom, Rabbi, Le Rabbi Dr. Label Wolf. We've had him many times speak for us in person. He did an event for us last year online. He's tremendous. He's going to be doing a Kabbalah and meditation session. It's called Mastering Our New World. 
That's the topic of the event, Mastering a New World. Next Monday night, sorry, next Tuesday night, whatever the date is, um, January, January 11th. Thank you. And then we have another spiritual opportunity is at the end of January, 25th and 27th, two opportunities, Tuesday nights or Thursday afternoon, I will be teaching a six-week course called Meditation from Sinai. Right? Meditation from Sinai. A Jewish path of spirituality and meditation, six parts, each of which includes meditations and spiritual concepts. So if you've ever wondered about Jewish spirituality or want to learn more about Jewish meditation and the distinction between Jewish meditation, meditation, Eastern meditation, etc., and all of the above, join me for that six-week course starting January 25th, Tuesday nights at 8 online, or Thursday, January 27th at noon in person. Those are the two options. Rabbi? 20, Tuesday night at, at 8 online or Thursdays at noon and six weeks, six um, consecutive weeks. Yeah. Rabbi, is Rosh, is Rosh Kodesh tomorrow night? I, that's an excellent question. <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing. I should know the answer. Now, notice I said should. <laughs> and notice I said it's an excellent question. I, I need to check in with, uh, with Dina. I do not believe that it's going to be just because of, of the break and how we pushed out the other ones. I don't believe it's going to be tomorrow night, um, which I know creates some scheduling decisions. All right, I will, we will sort this out, and I'm going to get on top of this, and we'll send out some messages about RCS. Bye-bye. Yes, Yaakov, you. pleasure. Do you have a second for a question? Always. Okay. Um, well, actually, uh, just a couple of different ones. But the Hold on. One, was, one, uh, one second, one question, or multiple? Hold on. I agree to No, I'm kidding. Well, Go, launch the, in. The multiple, was, <laughs> the multiple was, I got absolute equals emanation, and what do the other three, what are the other three Hebrew and English the, words? The, 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 the initial words of translation, which, again, don't mean much without the concepts, are, so absolute is emanation, bria, bria, like bare, is creation, Yitzira, Yitzira is formation, and Asiya is action. So emanation, creation, formation, action. In my terminology, it's um, in my. What was the fourth? The fourth Hebrew one in English one. Asiya. I'm going to write these down in the chat. Silut, Berea, Yitzira, Asiya. So emanation, formation, and action, right? Yeah, action. emanation, emanation, creation, formation, action. In my language, it's vision, decision, yeah. articulation, and launch. It's basically the same thing, just in different, different words. I, okay. took, I took the vision of these words, and I decided which ones I wanted to use. I then articulated, and then I launched it by typing it into the, uh, to the chat. You see what I did there? Right. Sorry for getting all meta on you guys. And then the other, the other question, because that was multiple questions. Yes. Um, what if God uh, desired to have a dwelling place in the lowliest of realms, does that obviously, does that mean, or is God outside of time, does that mean that at some point or even at the present, God still does not have that? And is that the one last uh, remaining piece 
of uh, of being uh, omnipresent or uh, omniscient or whatever, to have parts of yourself um, have that ability to reject and yet have that unity, but a stronger, more loving unity because it's not a unity of force, it's a unity of choice. I'm going to answer yes to all the above. Mashiach means, Mashiach is when the house is complete. And what's crazy about this is God could build the house, but God could never build the house that God wants. Because the house that God wants is the house that we built for Him. So God can't build the house that we built for Him because then we're not building it for Him. It's like God's desire ties his own hands like only he can do. Only God can tie God's hands. It's like God's omnipresence. You use the word omnipresence, which I like. God's omnipresence. God wants God's omnipresence to extend to a space that allows for that omnipresence to be in, not by force, but by choice. Right. Which means there's a vestige of reality. There's a slice, a, a sliver of, of reality, of existence, where... There's no space that God isn't. But there is a space, a small fragment, where God is not visible. Even though God is there, God is here for sure, but there's a space where God's not visible. And God wants us to make it visible. So that it's perceived and it's clear that God's omnipresence is really everywhere. But we're the only ones that can uncover that because if God, if God pulled back the curtain... That would be undoing the whole purpose. That's the crazy thing. For God to do that, un uh, to that, to that revealing would be to undermine the, the original intention altogether. It would, if God were to flood our reality with truth, with the light of truth, that would literally undermine the, the vision. The whole vision is, it's like, It's like imagine creating a video game that allows people to create their own worlds. You create a, like a platform, right? You create a platform that allows the user to create their own. And then one day you step in and create everything that you want. It's like that's not... It's, it's, not, it's not a strong analogy here, but whatever. It's like, it, it, it's under you. You, you gave the person tools so that they should choose to build, and then you're going to do the building. It's not, it's, not what, that's not, it's not the objective here. Anyway, but yeah, the answer to your questions are yes. And then yeah. does that mean that God does at some point change? I know that there's potential... Uh, and then there's existing, and it seems like that's really the only thing that's happening is that there's a potential of God's uh, presence to be everywhere, and then, um, and, and then uh, so that we would uh, enable that and we would create, we would help co create that. Um, but it, it does seem like there's something that if God does this, God's doing this for a reason because there is no waste in nature, there is no. Um, arbitrary use of energy in nature. So if God's doing it, it's not arbitrary, it's for a reason. And, you know, is that reason that there is some real change that happens within 
within God. I mean, within within this, uh, even though it's going no. from potential to no change, not no change. We say this in the prayers every morning. You were as you are before the world was created. You you are as you are after the world was created. It's in, it's in the liturgy. It's in the siddur. You can't, even if it doesn't make sense, we cannot conclude God is changing. That's like, that's, that undermines the whole, that's, I mean, that's maybe in other traditions, I don't know, but not, not from a Jewish place, not from a Kabbalistic place. God is, not, is, is immutable, not changing. The way we explained it in the Matrix course, and I, we don't have time to do uh, three 90-minute sessions right now, but the way we explained it there is that the existence of other is our perception, but not necessarily the reality, the true reality. In other words, God creates the appearance of other for us. But God sees himself in that creation of the appearance of other. In other words, that darkness, that concealment itself is also divine. So God sees himself in his own withholding. It's like the parent that holds back from helping the child so that the child should do the thing on their own. That withholding is not the absence of the parent. It's the presence of the parent in that withholding. We're dealing with, I mean, these are, these are subtle concepts, but the short answer is God is not changing. How we understand it, all right, that's, we need to explore it more, and we need you know, more, more language of articulation, fine. But it's, and we don't have time for that right now. But the short answer is no. All right, Robert, do you have a question? Yeah. Yes, yes, thank you uh, for sure. calling on me. Uh, you were speaking about omnipresence, um, and I was wondering if you could further articulate uh, about the space that, that God is present, but he cannot be seen. You said that there was a very small space, uh, yeah. but you really didn't articulate on that. That's here. Just look around. That's like that small space where God is not seen is here. We can we can we can conjure up. We can open up and find God, but it's not when I say God can't be seen, I mean it's not an obvious thing. Unless you know what you're looking for. That's what I mean. Now God is omnipresent. So again, just, just to be very clear here. God is here as God is everywhere and that 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 reality is here. 100% we don't always see it. We don't always see it because the world is created in a way that's a little bit more opaque than transparent. And our job is to break it open and make it more transparent. That's, that's literally our job. Um, yeah. And our job is to choose it because we want it. Again, in a relationship, the whole power of a relationship is that I choose, I choose, I want to be in a relationship with you. It's not like, well, the other one told me I should choose. You with me on that? There's a distinction. Right. The other one told me I should choose them, so I guess I'm choosing them. That's still not me choosing them. That's me following orders. So building a home for God here on earth means that we really want to do it. Maybe part of what we're getting wrong is doing it only because God wants us to do it and not us wanting it. You with me on that little distinction? It's like, do we really want like a relationship or we are obedient and God says, I want a relationship with you? So we're like, all right, I guess this is it. I guess we're in a relationship with God. <laughs> but that's still not a real relationship. It's still not. We have to own it. And maybe that's why this final chapter exists at a time and a place where, you know, there's no pressure. Back in the day, there was a lot of pressure, right? A lot of pressure, external pressures and, 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 and hate. And I'm saying Jewishly, at least, there's a lot, a lot of pressures back in the day. 
And now we live in a country where, at least here in America, where by and large, do whatever you want. You could choose to be Jewish, not to be Jewish, choose to practice, choose to connect, whatever it is. It's, the, the choice is ours. So like, now the question is, okay, so what do you, so what do you really want? There's no, there's no, no coercion. Not, there's no carrot, there's no stick. Right? There's no, it's not like the light, every time we do a good deed, a mitzvah study, it's not like the light starts flooding in, like literally. And otherwise, it's not like we get zapped if we do the wrong thing. It's like, now it's, it's our choice. What do you want? Now what does God want? First of all, that doesn't even work with the younger generation. Do a mitzvah because God wants you to do it. See you later. What are you talking about? God wants me to, <laughs> God wants me to do it. The message today is, do it because you want a relationship. And I think that's the ultimate frontier. It's when you choose the relationship because you want it, not because the other one wants you to choose it. If someone gets down on one knee and says, you know, I really want to be, I'm literally getting down on one knee here, sorry. If somebody gets down on one knee and says, I want to be in a relationship with you, and then you feel coerced to say yes because they're making, you know, that's not the greatest way to start this. I mean, I'm not saying one person shouldn't get down on a knee and whatever, that's like, you know, almost tradition at this point. But like, it should really be coming from both. It's not like I feel guilted into doing it. Like I feel guilted into saying yes because we're now on the, speaking of Jumbotron, we're now at this game at the national championship and now like everyone's watching my reaction. So yes, right? Yes. No pressure. No pressure, right? God's going to strike if we don't do what we need to do. That's not a real relationship. What do I want to do? That's the question. So I think this is where we're at. All right, I got to close it. I see Yaakov have another question. Let's, let's close it for today. There's always more. There's uh, Torah is endless. But thank God we have next week. Please, God. We'll have next week to study together. Thank you all for joining. We'll see you. Shavua Tov. Check out the website for more opportunities as we discussed. And uh, let's continue the conversation. Bye, everyone. Take care. Pleasure, 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 pleasure. Great to see everyone.